This month's podcasts are sponsored by Aubergine Legal. Do you sometimes worry that your business isn't meeting all its legal compliance requirements and wonder if you're ticking all the legal boxes? Are you losing sleep worrying about a piece of legislation that you may or may not be complying with? Perhaps you need some help with your client contracts or your data protection compliance. Or maybe you're worried that your website doesn't have the right documents or legal notices in the right place. Perhaps you have a brand that you want to protect with a trademark. How about if you could outsource it all and eliminate all of your worries? If so, then get in touch with Aubergine Legal, a friendly commercial legal consultancy offering practical and clear commercial legal advice without the overwhelming legal jargon, taking the worry away and helping you to protect your business and minimise your risks. Aubergine offers a free 30-minute consultation if you have any questions or want to find out if they can help. And you can access this link and book your free 30-minute call via the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Bring Your Product Ideas to Life podcast. Practical advice and inspiration to help you create and sell your own physical products. Here's your host, Vicky Weinberg. Hi, today on the podcast, I'm talking to Jenna Farmer. Jenna helps small businesses get visible through amazing blog content and getting featured in the media. So we talked about two topics today, um, which are, as you might have guessed, blogging, so how to produce good blog content for your products business. I know that when I was selling products, um, I really struggled with what to talk about other than my products. And if you're in a similar boat, I think you're going to find this really useful. Jenna has some excellent suggestions of the kind of things that you can talk about on your blog to keep your audience engaged. And we also cover things like how often you need to be blogging, which um, might be good news for you is less than you might think. Um, And then we also spoke about how to get your business featured in the media. And Jenna had lots and lots of practice tips and advice here even if you're someone who's a bit shy I mean I know that I'm a bit daunted actually by the thought of getting featured in the press somewhere it just seems like quite a big deal and even pitching seems quite scary um and I think that the conversation with Jenna will really help you with that so with all that said I now would love to introduce you to Jenna and I really hope you enjoy this conversation so hi Jenna thank you so much for being here no problem thanks very much for having me Oh, you're welcome. So can we start with you, please give an introduction to yourself, your business and what it is that you do? Yeah, so I'm Jenna. Um, I'm a journalist and a blogger. And as part of that, I offer services uh, to small businesses who need help with their blog content um, or also need help getting in the media, reaching out to journalists, beans, magazines, newspapers and blogs. Amazing, thank you. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to take each topic separately. So let's talk a little bit about blogs first. Um, Let's start off with the real basic question, Jenna, which is why why should we be thinking about producing blog content? Well, I think... I talk about sort of two separate things like blogging and getting seen on the media but for me I think they're really closely related so a lot of people when they think about starting a blog just think you know I'll just put some content on there I'll write about what I want to write about but actually blogs help in lots of different ways so firstly it's about obviously getting seen on Google so you know if you're writing blog content that is popular with Google, that's going to obviously bring more visitors to your site. And then in that blog content, you've obviously got the chance to uh, promote whatever product you're selling. Uh, But also within that, uh, Google really likes sites that are updated and provide new and consistent 
continuity in their information. So having a blog that's regularly updated is a really great way uh, to show Google that you're not just sort of create the site and left it. Um, so it really helps with things like the algorithm of, you know, Google ranking um, and getting, you know, seen on Google, which again is really beneficial. But it also helps answers your audience's questions. So, you know, if somebody comes to you and they're not sure about your product or your service or whatever, and you've got a really in-depth blog post that explains it, um, it actually saves you a lot of time because you've probably got, you know, audiences asking you questions every day. Um, I know I have. And being able to, to direct them into a blog post um, not only means they're on your site, so they might have a little look around, but it's also going to save you repeating the same things over and over again. Yeah, that's really helpful. So just picking up on one of the things you said about for Google and about keeping your site yeah. updated, is there like an optimum number of blog posts you should be publishing or, you know, should you be published, should you be updating your site every month? I know there's probably not a black and white answer, but just curious, really. I think, yeah, there isn't a black and white answer. And obviously that algorithm is always changing and we don't know the exact specifics of it. But what I would say is like consistency. Um, so Google also definitely values posts that are quite long and sort of really useful. So I personally think if you've, you know, if, it's better to almost have like one post a month that's perhaps like a thousand words and full of value than perhaps like a 200 word post, which is just pointless because it's not going to be long enough to, to do anything. So I think as long as you set yourself, you know, a consistency, I mean, ideally, I would say at least once a month, but you know, once a week is personally what I would aim for, but anywhere between those two parameters, as long as you're consistent, but as long as it's worthwhile content as well there's no point just putting stuff up for the sake of it um i see a lot of businesses do that think okay i'll just put something up but um there's no point doing it if it's not going to be valuable so wherever you can find that line of what you can commit to and commit to it i would say thank you and it sounds like a good blog post sort of has two purposes then so it's providing useful information and it's also yeah. going to help your seo as well yes definitely and if you think you know I'll give you a, an example at the moment. Like if you've got a product-based business, so I've got a subscription box that I um, help with their PR and their blog content. Um, obviously, you know, they're hoping to get found on Google through phrases like subscription box. But then um, what I did in their case was I wrote a blog post all about corporate gifting and, you know, corporate gifting options. And that managed to rank on Google. So that's something that they wouldn't have ranked for before because it's not really their whole business if that makes sense but from that blog post that ranked on google and they were able to get sales from it there's only so many search combinations or ways that you're going to be found to that static so it really opens up you know the amount of places that people can find you really Thank you. And let's talk a little bit about content as well, if that's okay, because yeah. um, this podcast is obviously for products businesses. I ran my own products business for years and I, I'll be honest, blog content was something I really struggled with because it's, I think it's, um, I think I fell into the trap of either just doing posts about my content, about about my products and I think there was you know a certain amount of value of that so for example I one of my products was these bamboo swaddles and I did lots of posts about you know the best ways seven ways to use them or whatever you know seven ways you can use them or things like that or I would post content that I thought would be relevant to my audience but in hindsight probably had nothing to do with my products and probably wasn't also helping you know my my search rankings and that kind of thing um I think it can be really tricky for products businesses to know what to talk about so have you got any advice here please 
Yeah, I mean, what I personally would advise is there's a tool uh, called key search, although there are other ones out there. But basically, you need sort of a keyword planning tool. Um, you can also, if you use Google Ads, there's also like Google AdWords, which is sort of similar. And really, I would just spend half an hour just having to research, you know, researching um, keywords or phrases around uh, your topic. So going back to the example I gave you about the subscription box. Um, you know, if I think of a type subscription box in, that's probably going to be too competitive because there's lots of people writing about that. So then it might give me more suggestions. So some of them might not be relevant, but it might give me some suggestions like subscription boxes for your staff and clients, for example, or subscription boxes for healthy eating, for example. So um, what, yeah, what I would say is using those sorts of keyword tools um, can be really helpful because it can give you some suggestions and it's all about finding that topic that's obviously relevant to you, isn't too popular, that means you're not going to get anywhere, but um, isn't too tiny, that means you're not going you, to get any traffic. So definitely doing some research, using those research tools, or just if you, you know, any competitors having a read of their blogs, seeing the sort of content they're putting out. But yeah, trying to, as another good tip as well is like awareness days or awareness months. So for example, um, we've got International Women's Day today. So that, is that today, I think? Yeah. Um, today, yeah. So, yeah. so if there's content around that or awareness weeks, awareness months, sometimes there's like staff mental health days, so if you've got staff offerings. So finding those awareness days can be really useful as well. Yeah, I guess it's finding just about finding different angles, isn't it? Yeah, and that's something that you sort of do get. What I would say as well is that once you're um, once you've wrote a few posts, you can then start to have a look at your analytics a little bit and see, okay, if one post is doing really well, that tells me that my audience want more of this content, and that's what I always do. Sometimes it's worth you know just putting that content out there and seeing what sticks, what's popular, what gets a bit of traffic, and as soon as something gets a bit of traffic. Can you replicate that and do it again in a different way to, to get more traffic? Does that make sense? That does. Thank you. Yeah. And what about um, sort of the strategy? Well, I say strategy. It wasn't the strategy I was doing. I didn't really know what I was doing, if I'm honest, Jenna, of sharing content, you know, writing content that might be of use to your audience. I mean, when I, I'm, I'm probably answering my own question here, but when I think about it, I suppose I'm thinking that if it's useful then and relevant, then maybe. But if it's too much of a tangent then maybe not so for example we were just talking about Mira who was on yes podcast yes. recently um and I know that she talks a lot about menopause but yes. given that um a lot of the products that she creates are aimed at helping women eat well during the menopause I suppose if she was to blog on the subject of menopause that wouldn't be too much of a jump and would still be relevant yeah and I think sometimes as well different blogs have different purpose so you know sometimes it's okay and I do this all the time to be like right this isn't going to do well on Google you know say if Mira for example was like I'm going to write about my experience of going to the doctor and not getting anywhere with menopause now that's not going to be something that people are going to necessarily Google but it's her personal story so she might share it on her Instagram and people might click through that way or she might share it um, in a newsletter so it's okay for different blogs to have different purposes you know sometimes I'll write things just you know I've got Crohn's disease for example so sometimes I'll blog about my experiences with that and 
people might not be googling that but that's got a different purpose so it's okay for different blogs to have different purposes but if say Mira's um because she talked on the podcast didn't she about the new box that she's launching so, yes she did yeah so let's use that as an example you know if Mira's launching this box, box for kids then she needs to perhaps get specific and think okay are there any articles that are talking about you know healthy food boxes for kids or are there any articles that are talking about you know subscription box for kids or tips for eating healthier with your kids so that's going to have a whole different purpose so I think it's absolutely fine to have a mix um, of different blog topics but when you're writing it you should be sort of thinking okay how am I helping people and how are people going to find me from this blog post yeah I guess it sounds like whatever you write about it needs to have a purpose whether that's getting found by search engines or helping people to learn about your products or in the case you were giving about perhaps Mira we keep coming back to Mira I'll have to link to this episode (laughs) in the show notes people haven't heard about it but I suppose if she were to do a blog post about her experience going to the doctors I guess the benefit of that would be to help people who came onto her site learn a bit more about her connect to her yeah Um, exactly I mean, people buy from people as well, don't they? So I'm sure that you'll know, you know, like sometimes you might write about something that's not necessarily got links to your products in, but they might follow you on Instagram. They might sign up for your newsletter. And then in a month's time, they might buy from you. So it's just about knowing what you're blogging for when you're blogging, I think, rather than just putting content out there. Yeah, thank you. So it sounds like as as long as you've got a purpose and you know why you're producing a piece of content, um, that sounds like the key the key takeaway yeah. would that be fair yeah. yeah yeah definitely okay thank you so let's um switch over if that's okay and talk yeah. a bit about getting featured in the press um yeah. so I'm going to ask the same question as I did for blogs which is why why would you want to be in in the press um you know let's say you're very shy and you know you don't particularly like putting yourself out there but let's um what why should you yeah, well, sort of similar reasons again for the for the blog content. So obviously, you know, the main one that people always talk about is that it's going to make me sales. It's going to make me more money. If my product gets featured in the independent or something, that's going to translate into sales. So obviously, that's the main one. And yeah, of course, that is going to happen. Uh, but it all comes back to again, you know, visibility being shown out there, you know, people learning your journey and people might follow you that way. When you're featured in the media as well, often uh, they might link back to your website. And that really helps with what we talked about before um, with Google, because we know that um, when you search something, you know, for example, if I'm searching like, you know, a Chinese takeaway for this evening, the the ranking that's going to be at the top is most likely that site that's been around for a while and people have recommended and talked about so when you're getting those links and those mentions uh from magazines and newspapers um that really helps as well because it's sort of showing google look you know we think this site's amazing people are linking to it so um even if you don't necessarily have a big jump in sales uh you might be surprised at how that affects you know other areas of your business Perhaps more people might read your blog as well. And that's obviously going to translate into sales. Um, and yeah, and finally, it's just, it's just a really great way to get visibility. Obviously, to advertise in a magazine or a newspaper can cost thousands and thousands of pounds. So if you can find a story or an angle that gets you featured naturally without paying, then the benefits can be huge. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. So I guess it is all about just getting more people to see what you're doing what you sell yeah Yeah, 
that makes sense um yeah i can definitely i can definitely see see the benefits i'll be honest though jenna it feels like really hard work um have you got any advice about sort of how to go about getting media coverage so where you should be looking um let's let's start there actually so where would you find opportunities or do you create your own opportunities how yeah how does so that I'd work say there's a, I'd divide it into two so first of all you can definitely create your own opportunities so I always advise people just to start reading like your dream publication and just start to figure out okay this is the kind of stories they cover or this person covers a lot of these topics so you know try and figure out where you fit within those publications because a lot of the time people are like you know I want to be featured in Grazia we'd all like to be featured in Grazia but does that actually fit with your product or your service so definitely just spend a bit of time figuring out you know where your ideal audience is and then you know, just drop in that introductory email and just say, you know, I see that you've covered a lot of this, or I see that you're focusing on this. Uh, what I do fits really well with that. And, you know, here's some examples, or especially if you've got a product-based business, you know, you could target that journalist. Can I send you a copy or can I send you a box or whatever you sell? Um, and just make that initial introduction, or if that even seems too scary, you can go onto Twitter and find them on Twitter because a lot a journalist are on Twitter and just follow them and see the kind of things that they're posting and sharing and engaging with them. Um, so that's the first way, just sort of making those connections yourself. The second way is a lot easier and it's probably better if, you know, you don't have loads of confidence and that is, you know, finding those opportunities. So there's Facebook groups and there's paid subscriptions and there's free subscriptions that send you opportunities where a journalist is like, hi, I write for this place, I'm looking for people with X, Y, and Z, can you help? So that's much better because obviously you're sort of eliminating the guesswork and you know exactly what the journalist is looking for. So there's a Facebook group called Lightbulb, the Entrepreneur Hangout, um, and that's £5 a month. And there's lots of journalists in there doing exactly what I talked about. There's another newsletter, which is a similar amount a month, I think it's about £5 a month, and that's called Editorial. I might have pronounced that wrong. I'll text, I'll tell you how to spell it. Um, oh, yeah, send me over the yeah, link if yeah, you can. That'd be great. Thank yeah. you. That's a, a daily newsletter that sends you like updates from about 50 journalists. We're looking at this, this, and this. Um, and then there are other like paid for um, services that cost a bit more money. They're like called Response Source. So if you've got a food brand, Food for Media, and they do cost a lot of money, but obviously, again, um, you're finding those opportunities. And then the final way is to sort of outsource that. So obviously you can work with like a PR agency. I offer different one-to-one services. Um, so it just really depends on how much time you've got um, and how much money you have. It's definitely time consuming, um, but obviously the benefits you know, are business changing. So it's just about figuring out how much time you've got, how much money you've got and finding the solution that works for you. Yeah, thank you. And is journo requested a thing, Jenna? I remember I used to hear people talking about yeah. that. Um, yeah. Never tried, but. Yeah, so just going back to Twitter. Yeah, if you're following those, you know, if you're following those journalists, um, you can also search the hashtag journo request on Twitter. Um, 
again, you know, you do have to filter through a lot of stuff that isn't relevant to you, but I do eat once or twice a day, you know, the morning about half nine. So those early requests come in and then, you know, late afternoon and just scroll through that hashtag. And that can be a good way again to find journalists to follow and just sort of see the sort of stories that are being, you know, being put out there. But don't be afraid you know, you might see something and think, okay, that's me, but it's got nothing to do with my business. But if you're willing to talk about it, still put yourself out there because you don't know what, you know, where that's going to take you in the future and the relationships that you're going to build. So try not to just be, I want my product to be featured with a review and for me to make money from the sales. Try and be a bit more open-minded if you can. Yeah, that makes sense. Because presumably if a story was about you personally and it was something you were happy to talk about, there's a chance that your business could be mentioned in the story anyway, or that people might just look you up and see what you do. So I guess it's a case of if it fits and you're happy to talk about the subject, is it just a case of just going and giving it a go? Yeah, you get that link, hopefully, that I talked about that's going to help with your blog content and your Google traffic. You're going to you're going to get that relationship with the journalist, you know, if you're really helpful to them and you mention, oh, by the way, I do this, then the next time they work, I know that I do that all the time. I think, oh, I'll just go back to that person because I already know them. I already know they're really helpful. I know their email address. So yeah, it, it really helps build relationships. And like you say, you don't know where people are going to, you know, going to find you. So if you can be open-minded and it's not going to take a huge amount of time, then yeah, definitely. Oh, amazing. Thank you. And what about when you start contact? So I've got so many questions, Jen. Yeah. What about when you start contacting journalists? Like, is there, whether you're sort of, I don't want to say cold calling, that's probably not the right way of saying it, but whether you're approaching them sort of perhaps proactively because you're looking to get a story out there or whether you're responding to a request, are, is there any best practice for, for how to, you know, how to contact them? And do press it releases still exist that was my other question do people yeah. do press releases still do they still they still have yes so press releases can definitely be part of that so yeah I definitely recommend I always just recommend you have one press release so you know a lot of businesses want to update it every time you know they win an award or they have a new item but you don't necessarily need to update it every time chances are a lot of press releases you know are going to get deleted or not read but it is a useful sort of crib sheet that you can just scan through and to give the journalist the feel of the business so what I suggest doing is having a press release written um, and in that introductory email um, first of all just sort of explain you know who you are and why it's relevant to that publication or what they're working on or their audience just in a paragraph or so then you might say you know the full press release is below if you want to take a look and I always recommend that you copy and paste that because a lot of the times if you add an attachment they just don't get opened or they clog up the inbox size so if you just copy and paste your press release as an attachment yeah so you're gonna yeah so you've got your introduction you've got your copy and paste of the press release in the body of the email and then I would always say finish the email by just being super helpful so include links of like you know where it's stocked because a lot of people don't do that and you've got to then google if it's stocked in multiple places you know might just link to a few or mention a few um if it's like a new product, always make it clear like when it's been released, because again, that's something that I often go back and forth on. If you've got a link to like a Dropbox or a WeTransfer of images, link that there, because again, that's saving time. And if you've got, especially if you've got a low cost item um, and you have got a sample of it and you feel like, you know, it's something 
that you know is better to be tried like chocolate for example then yeah offer that you know offer that sample as well so always just finish by being really helpful here's what i've got here's where you can find it here's how i can help you um and you sort of end the email there um and my, my last tip in relation to being helpful is if you're going to send that email, then make sure you then check your emails later that day or tomorrow, you know, don't sort of send that email and then go on holiday for a week because you might miss that reply. And a lot of the time journalists are on deadlines. Perfect. Thank you. And what about the actual press release? What should go into there? Because you mentioned having one press release because I, I i mean i when i think of press releases years and years ago i used to work in pr and you'd sort of be churning yeah. these out all the time and there'd always be a new press release about a new service or whatever it was um so what would your sort of ones i mean i'm assuming that if something big happened in your business maybe you'd write a, a press release you know just about that if there was something yeah. worthy of a, a standalone story but this standard press release that you would you know um sort of use on repeat what would be in that yeah and i mean it's worth saying obviously you can keep updating your press releases i mean that's what pr agencies would do but my advice would be you know if you're limited in your time or your budget so perhaps you're paying someone to write your press releases or you do them yourself it's probably not the best use of your time to keep updating it. Yeah. You could just send a new picture. You could just tweak that press release slightly. But yeah, in the press release itself, I always advise, you know, trying to keep it onto one page if you can. And sort of a bit similar to the email, really. You just want to sort of succinctly summarise your offering. So in the opening paragraph, you might, you know, the key information, if it's a new product launch or the sort of thing you're offering, um, if it's a product-based business, I then try and have, you know, images and a few bullet points. If you've got a product range, you know, like mirrors, for example, you know, here's our key hero products or three products that are perfect for this time of the year. Um, and, you know, those bullet points are going to tell me the price, the stockists and what they are. Um, and then towards the bottom of the press release, I always have... Um, just a summary again of being helpful. So here's where you can find the images. This is the, the date they go on sale. Here's the list of the stockists. Um, if you want images or if you want uh, more images, if you want uh, product samples or so-and-so, email this address. Um, so just keep it as helpful as possible. And in that introductory paragraph or throughout, just trying to think about what are the unique selling points to you. So whether it's got an accreditation, if it's vegan, if it's won an award, if it's plastic free, anything that's going to be sort of creating that story that you feel is detailed that the journalist needs to know. Perfect. Thank you. I was just about to ask about that, actually, because it sounds like a lot of what you need to include is really factual. So I was going to ask about um, whether you need to include a spin or the USP or some sort of backstory to capture journalists attention. Or is that more what you would do in the email? Yeah, so in the email, it itself you can definitely personalize you know that email so you know for example if I've got a product that's vegan and I'm writing to a vegan magazine I'm going to really sell about that talk about it's approved by the society and so on while if it's just a general food magazine I might mention it just in passing um, if that makes sense um, in the press release itself um, you can tweak it every time but I think really it's okay if the press release doesn't perfectly match that email pitch because you're going to be sending, you're going to be tweaking that email pitch anyway. But anything that makes it different and unique, I would definitely put in the press release, anything that stands it out. Um, 
And if your business has a backstory that's interesting, you could mention just a few sentences on that. You know, perhaps it started during lockdown or perhaps you've got twins and you're juggling your you're juggling your business. You can include a little bit of that as well. But just about getting the balance between the useful information, but just keeping it succinct and summarised. That makes sense. Thank you. Because I guess this isn't something, as you say, most of us won't have the time to be updating this constantly. Yes. So I guess if it's something that's fairly standard, then if you were emailing journalists, for example, then that would be the place where you could kind of give the angle yes. to match whatever they're looking yes. for. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. Um, that's what I was getting a bit a bit yeah. confused about. So it's not like in, I was about to say in the old days, but it's not like, I'm thinking it was years ago now when I worked, years and years ago. So it's not like, when you know you're constantly writing a press release saying we have a new product we did this we won this award so it's not yeah. that it's about having something standard that contains all the key information so that's I guess if you had I mean, a new like, product you maybe add a new bullet point for example yes I mean that's what I would advise but the reason I advise that is because I just mainly work with you know small businesses who don't have much budget or perhaps hire just for one day or that sort of thing so if you've got a limited budget and time, of course, you can keep updating your press releases. But I just think it'd be better spent having a one size fits all press release and tailoring that initial pitch. Because it's in that initial email, that first paragraph, the journalist is going to more likely to decide if it's for them and if to read on anyway. And their press release isn't going to be towards the bottom. So chances are when I read an email, I'll only scan for the press release if it's you know worth considering if it fits with what I'm doing and really I'm just scanning that press release for just like key points that I can take and use in my article so yeah. you know, I wouldn't overthink that press release too much that's really good advice thank you because yeah I mean the podcast is the this podcast is for small businesses who you know I assume most of the time are going to be doing their own PR yeah, exactly. and aren't going to have a lot of time or money for it so that's so helpful thank you and it sounds like the key takeaway is that the first couple of lines of the email need to be the thing that that get the journalist's attention because I assume if you don't grab them straight away then chances are they're not even going to read down to your press release yeah exactly and they're I mean yeah it's not being rude necessarily it's just that a lot of journalists get you know hundreds and hundreds of emails a day so it just has to fit with what they're doing or they just don't have time to carry on reading yeah, I was just about to ask you about that as a journalist. So if you put out a pitch, do you tend to just get hundreds of responses? Yes. So I just, yes, yeah, so just, just scroll through and you can sort of, I'm quite quick at reading now, but you can sort of get a sense of which one fits. And if it doesn't, then usually I, I just delete. I will say sometimes, I think if it's, you know, you can't do it for everyone, but um, if it's like the perfect publication or, you know, it's a journalist you've followed for a while, um. I do think trying to mention that and have a relationship does help a lot. So, you know, for example, I've got a two-year-old, Jude, um, and I write about parenting and um, I've got my Instagram. And if someone emails me and say, like, oh, I love, you know, this blog you wrote or I love watching you and Jude, even if it doesn't fit, I'll I'll send a reply back because I think that was nice, you know, that they took the time to understand a bit more about the work that I'm doing. Or even if it was like, you know, I really, I thought this article that you wrote here was brilliant. I shared it to my friends or so on. You can't do that with every time. It's got to be genuine. But when people do do that, um, I definitely do reply and keep them in mind. So that could be another thing worth thinking about. Oh, that's really useful. Thank you. And I can, I can definitely see what you're saying there. Cause I find that I get quite a lot of pitches um, for people. I have a blog as we've spoken about, but I, and I get 
pitches for people who want to write guest articles. Um, and a lot of the time they don't even sort of write my name. They'll just write hi and then yeah. give this pitch. And often it doesn't even fit. And I just think if you can't even be bothered to find out what my name yeah. is before you email, um, then yeah, and I, I'm not, yeah, I usually reply to everything that those sort of emails I have just started deleting because I just think if you can't, you know, take the time to find out who I am and what I write about and and things like that then it's just and yeah. the same with the podcast actually as well I think that um because I also sort of pitch myself as a guest for other people's podcasts and I do think you have to at least listen to some episodes and yeah exactly and find out a bit the about the person you know read the magazine um which you should be any you know you should be anyway and just if, if they've never ever covered your topic that's probably because they're it's not right for their audience so don't waste like your time as well by sending them an email sort of thing thank you and is there anything else that that you would say like to people to be wary of or or also definitely not do because obviously you're in a unique position as a journalist is there anything else other than the spammy sort of emails that have probably been sent to hundreds of people is there anything else that um for you would make it an automatic no Well, I think, first of all, nothing is guaranteed unless you're paying for it. So I don't mean paying me, but, you know, unless you're paying for advertising, nothing, you know, is guaranteed. So at the same time, you know, if you've got a personal story that you're sharing as part of the case study, then absolutely you can ask for a read back, which means, you know, I just want to check out, you know, I'm being represented properly or, you know, that my story's being told properly before you hit publish. But if, you know, you're sending me some chocolate and I'm writing about the best vegan chocolate, then you don't have the sort of right or the, to ask for that read back because you have to accept the journalist's sort of word. So I think that's worth making that distinction um, in terms of realise that, you know, unless you're paying for something, you can't necessarily control what's being written. You can't control the amount of coverage. You can't control what image the journalist used necessarily. The, the difference being, the exception being, if it's something that's really personal, that you're sharing that story, that you should make sure that you're, you know, getting written fairly. But otherwise, you have to accept that. Similarly, things like um, things change all the time so perhaps you know you sent over 500 words but 10 words have been used perhaps it's not featured in this newspaper it's going to be featured in another one um the article might take a new direction you might spend hours and hours and it just gets cut and all of that you've just sort of got to accept and it happens a lot uh, to all of my clients or to me personally when I've written something and you have to accept again if you're not paying for something it's not guaranteed until you see that coverage so don't get your hopes up too much um until it actually um goes live so that would be my um and and my my last tip just to be as helpful as possible so you know i've had people email before and i'm like okay but when is the project actually going to go live i'm not sure well okay well my deadline's next week so is it going to go live now of course i know that loads of those things are out of your control there might be website problems there might be supply problems so don't send that email until everything's lined up in place because otherwise i've had people mess me around before it's not ready yet or the images aren't ready yet i know it can be tempting to email as soon as you can but you just might annoy that journalist if everything's not in place yeah that makes sense thank you and given how much you've said it's about relationships that obviously isn't yeah. you don't want to get off on that but really yeah exactly so just, that, go on sorry no you go 
I was just going to say, yeah, and just beware, although that you might think there's a lot of time, a lot of, especially online, they might need to publish it today, they might need to publish it tomorrow. So the turnaround time um, is definitely to be aware of. And in general, you know, print publications, you know, like magazines, are about three or four months ahead. So, you know, in July or August, they're going to be ready for Christmas. So I always say to people, you know, if you wait until October till you've got your Christmas pictures, then it's too late because you're missing out on all of that stuff. Uh, but while online, it's sort of the opposite. They might need it today. They might need it within the hour. So as you sort of pitch to more journalists, you sort of learn more about that. But really being accommodating to times and trying to turn around things quickly can be really helpful as well. That's really good. Thank you for that. That really helps the expectations. So I guess if you're pitching for an online publication, for example, but you know you're back to back in meetings for the next two yeah. days, perhaps don't or be prepared to sh- shuffle things around to yeah able just, to do yeah it. I mean and a lot of the time you might get that's another one I mean you might not receive replies you might feel like you're hitting against a brick wall but just one reply you know that's perfect can you know massively change uh, your business so the journalist isn't going to expect you to respond 24 7 but perhaps if they email and say oh can I ring you tomorrow I'd make time for that call there's no point saying oh I can't do it till next week well they'll just find somebody else so um if you can be accommodating um that would definitely help yeah I've had very limited experience with this but I had one sort of journalist interview and it was a case of you know she sort of emailed and said can we speak tomorrow yeah. you know within this two-hour window um yeah which I wasn't quite prepared for because I wasn't yeah. quite but um I did it actually although it didn't go alive actually um I did it and I was quite proud of myself for doing it but then the article went in a different direction yeah. which is disappointing but yeah. I think it was good experience to do it yeah. anyway and, and it's actually the, time, the journalists will feel bad for that and they'll try and keep you mind for something else maybe and like you say it's just all practice isn't it as well yeah because it isn't it can be a bit uncomfortable especially when you're speaking to a journalist as opposed to writing something yeah, in your own yeah. words and actually have you got any advice for that so if someone's you know got a call booked with a journalist tomorrow have you got any advice on how best to approach that or any any tips at all because it can be quite daunting especially if you've never done it before I mean first of all I would definitely at the end of the call say oh you know I'll put what we've said in an email or I'll summarize it in an email and send that straight afterwards um because then obviously you you know you've got a bit more control of it because it's your uh, word so definitely if if you're not sure about something if a journalist asks you a question and you're not sure how you want to word that you don't want to say it you know, on that phone call, then just say, oh, can I have a think about that? I'll put the answer to you by email. And obviously you've got a bit of time then to make sure it's crafted. Um, And like I said, if it is like a case study and it's a a topic that's personal to you or could be controversial or could be, then just say, oh, you know, can I have a read back, you know, before it's published or can you give me a heads up of what's going to be included? um, So you're prepared for that. So, and you know, you also have to set boundaries as well. So if there's something you don't want to talk about, um, then just don't talk about it. Okay, you might not get that coverage, but is it worth it sort of thing? So a lot of the issues that I get is um, for any of the businesses, they'll want to know, okay, can you share the turnover of the business? Can you share the, the profit? And not everyone wants to do that. And it's not always as straightforward if you started it in lockdown, you know, you might not have your set of figures then and things like that. So you've just got to set boundaries of what you can and can't share. And if you can't share, 
then say either on the email or at the start of the call, you know, I can't give you the financial information or I can't go into detail on X, Y, and Z. Um, and then it's up to the journalist then to make that call about whether it's worth it or not. Okay, so it sounds like it's worth just before you get on the phone, just having to think through, I guess, what are the key things you want to talk about and yeah. what are the things you definitely don't want to talk about yeah. and just making that super clear up front because you're yeah. right, I suppose you don't want to sort of be on the phone to 20 minutes and the journalist asks you a question and you say, oh, actually, I don't want to tell you that because they're possibly going to feel, well, that was a wasted yeah. interview. Yeah, so maybe just give them the heads up at the start of the call or, you know, or I can't talk about this, can't talk about, or perhaps in the email before, um, just so they're really clear. That's really helpful, thank you. Because, yeah, I guess we all have to be really respectful of each other's time. Um, And, yeah, one thing I'm really picking up from this whole conversation is a lot of it is about relationships. And I guess if you can be honest and sort of treat the other person with respect rather than seeing it as them helping you more see you helping them yeah um yeah I think that should get off to a much better start yeah exactly and they're used to it as well like you know journalists are used to those conversations of course they want to get the best story but they're not you know they are used to those conversations as long as you're honest about what you can and what you can't talk about then the 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 decisions on them you know it's like I'll give you an example as well as that I'm a freelance writer so I wrote a piece for the iPaper last week about blind dates because I actually met my husband on a blind blind date. It was completely random. Um, Love is Blind, I think it is, on Netflix. It was just the end of that show. And so the the editor wanted someone to write on blind dates. Now, my husband is the complete opposite of me. He doesn't even have social media. He's anti-PR. He's like, don't want anyone to look at me or talk about me. So I had to go to my husband and say, oh, they're going to mention I'm going to write about our blind date um are you okay and a lot of the times uh he doesn't want his name there he's okay with like a picture but you know he doesn't want his details there um and so yeah so you can navigate that so during lockdown he actually lost his job and I was the breadwinner so I actually wrote for Glamour magazine about that relationship shift but the editor came back to me and said I want this from your husband I want this from your husband and my husband was like no I don't want to talk about this really um so I went back to the editor and said, no, I'm not covering this. I'm not covering this, but I'll do this, this and this. And that was fine. And the article got published. So, yeah, so I've gone through it as well. And I know it can be uncomfortable, but what's worse, you know, the coverage is amazing. But to hurt someone that you love or your own self-esteem or your own emotions, it's not worth putting yourself through that if you're not happy with the piece. There'll be other press coverage. Thank you. And just the final thing I want to ask you about, Jenna, is that um, yeah. I don't know whether other people have this perception, but I, and it might be because I'm shy, I find the thought of talking to journalists quite daunting, um, partly because I think I don't have much practice with it. So it feels like quite a big thing. Have you got anything you can say to sort of reassure people? Um, so, I mean, a journalist used to speaking to people who haven't had much you know much PR exposure are very new to it is that something that journalists are just used to because I I mean I'm, I I feel like I'm not a bad speaker but you know sort of having to speak to a journalist fills me with dread I feel like I would just forget what I was wanting to say well no I mean that's what they're trained in isn't it they're trained in being able to get the story out of case studies or you know that's what they're paid for as well to get the best story so definitely wouldn't worry about that and you know I'd say almost all of the conversations that they have with people are not going to be expert speakers. They're not going to be experienced people, um, especially like if they work in the real life and case studies and those sorts of things. So yeah, I definitely wouldn't be uh, worried, but you know, 
in the in the the worst case scenario you can just say you know can we do this via email in the first instance ask if you can send over your answers via email first and then if they need anything clarifying you can speak on the phone and then that phone call is going to be a lot shorter hopefully you know you don't have to necessarily speak on the phone i don't do a lot of um phone calls now really a lot of the stuff i do is via email so don't let that put you off um there might be another way around if you really don't want to speak to them on the phone okay thank you i mean obviously that question was about me but i'm hoping that will help others as well because i can't be the only introvert here no, who's a bit I nervous I don't mind actually talking, but it's like actually picking up the phone, dialing the number, that awkward introduction of what to say. And I really don't like phone calls that much either. So you're definitely not alone in it. Oh, I like it when I'm on this end of it. Like I love doing the podcast yeah. and um, and talking to people, but put me on the other end. Like if I'm yeah. a guest on somebody else's podcast, um, I find that much more daunting for whatever reason. I find that, yeah, much scarier actually being yeah. on the other side of the microphone. So it, yeah <laughs> I've heard it that strangely okay well thank you so much for everything no you shared today Jenna um one final question to finish on um and whether we're talking about blogging or getting in the media what would your number one piece of advice be for anyone listening who needs to get a bit more visibility yeah I would just say think outside the box and that can apply to both your blog content and your PR Try to see both of those as not just, you know, it's going to make me X amount of money or it's going to get me X amount of sales. Think of how those work together and how they're going to help your visibility. And if you can take on something that's a bit out of the box, whether that's writing a blog post that's outside the box or um, being a case study for an article that's not quite linked to your business, do it. Take those opportunities because they can take your business in different directions. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. And thank you so much for everything no that you shared. So I'm going to link to your website in the show notes. Yeah. So people can get a bit more information about your services and what you offer. And yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. No, I'm waving. <laughs> I can see you. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end of this episode. If you enjoyed it, please do leave me a review. That really helps other people to find this podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and do tell your friends about it too if you think that they also might enjoy it. You can find me at vickyweinberg.com. There you'll find links to all of my social channels. You'll find lots more information, all of the past podcast episodes and lots of free resources too. So again, that's vickyweinberg.com. Take care, have a good week and see you next time. If you've been inspired to start a podcast in 2024, I really recommend my podcast host, Captivate. Captivate were my top pick when I started podcasting four years ago because of how easy it was for a complete novice like me to get started. I've stuck with them for the last four years because Captivate is still really simple to use. They keep adding great new features like the ability to share ads like these and they've just been really reliable. So when you're ready to start your own podcast, you can use the link in the show notes and get a free seven day trial with Captivate.